0: And welcome to Business Talk, brought to you by Business West and Living Local. Hi, I'm Chris Kellogg from the Kellogg Crew Morning Show on 94.7 WMAS. And I'd like to introduce your host of Business Talk. He's editor and associate publisher of Business West. Here is George O'Brien.
1: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Business Talk, a podcast presented by Business West in partnership with Living Local. We have a tremendous show for you today. I can't really wait to get to it, but I must, because first things first... uh, we need to hear a message from our sponsor, People's Bank. Thank you for listening to the Business Talk podcast, sponsored by People's Bank, bringing you the best in business experts, entrepreneurs, and evangelists. Make Business Talk your innovation break for ideas and inspiration. People's Bank, where commercial banking can fuel your growth and make work life easier. Member FDIC, DIF equal housing lender. Bank at peoples.com slash business. Okay, we are back on Business Talk uh, we Like I said, we have a great show for you today. I can't really wait to get to it. We have with us today Ryan Stelzer. He is the co-author of a book called Think, Talk, Create, Building Workplaces Fit for Humans. We're going to get into every word in that title in a couple of minutes. First, Ryan, how are you?
0: Good, George. How are you doing?
1: Uh, we're doing fine. Thank you for coming on the show today. We appreciate it. Uh, this book and this topic, the workplace and what goes inside it, is is is. Like I said, it's it's topical anytime, but especially now as our employers are bringing people back to the workplace and as the great resignation uh, continues to be a topic that uh, people have to deal with. Uh, People are leaving their jobs left and right, and people are searching for answers as to why that's happening. And I think you have some insight into that. Uh, Before we get into this, uh, tell the readers a little bit about you, first of all, your background. You're, You're from this area. Uh, you're a consultant. You worked in the Obama White House. Uh, tell us all about
0: that. I did. Thanks so much for having me today. It's, it's great to be with you. Yes, I worked in the White House uh, right after graduate school from 2012 to 2014, um, worked in management consulting uh, shortly thereafter, and then formed my own firm about six years ago out in Boston. And we do exactly as the subtitle says, we try to build workplaces that are better suited for human beings. And how, how do you manage performance and how do you um, inspire performance from team members? And my, part of my job in Washington was as a performance manager, which is sort of a I joke that um, you know I was responsible for making sure the government performed well. but um, our team was, <laughs> uh, was tasked with that. It was we were part of the president's uh, management team and that we were designed and sort of created, and intended to build high-performing environments across federal agencies. So it's just a carryover into the private sector and and trying to do that for companies.
1: That sounds like a classic oxymoron, uh, make the government work (laughs) efficiently and effectively. (laughs) Uh, Before we go any further, I have to read this this passage from you. Who writes the book jacket, by the way? Do you guys write that too, or do you... uh... We so do actually. That, you yeah. do write that for you, okay?
0: We, we, it's a combine. It's a team effort. Uh, one thing I will I will just say say before you before it, it, it was a I was naive going into a book uh, process, and you know I guess I had a co author, and of course we we're fortunate to have a great publisher and Hachette and um, great editing team, but it really is a team effort. I, I, there's a reason why the acknowledgement section is so long and the number of hands that touch the book was remarkable. So yes, David and I did, have, we, we did write the jacket, but it was uh, heavily edited and heavily improved by our publicity team and marketing team and editorial team at the publisher. So we are, it is a, it is a collaborative, collaborative environment.
1: Okay. Well, if you wrote the jacket, you kind of to set the tone with this. Uh, Today's workplaces are increasingly rolled by algorithms, taskmasters and penny pinchers. I'm not sure which category I fall into. <laughs> uh, we need to reinvigorate these dehumanized work environments with what makes us most human, our innate ability to think, talk, and create. That that does set the tone and we're going to get into that, but let's start with, uh, we're going to talk about think, talk, create in a minute, but let's start with the other words in that title, building workplaces fit for humans. That almost implies that most workplaces are not fit for humans. Uh, Uh, Am I assuming that correctly? And if so, why and how are they not fit?
0: Well, I can't speak to the percentages. I don't know if it's most or some or all or a handful. But in my experience, in our experience, we have observed that there are a great number of, of dehumanized work environments across the United States and the globe. I mean, one of the things that we struggled with in the book was actually one of the the, the difficulties and the sad part of the book is that there were so many stories that we could choose from to tell to illustrate the point. And what we've seen, I think collectively though, if, uh, over the last 50 years or so and it really started with Milton Friedman in the 70s and 80s at U Chicago, which is Coincidentally, where David and I attended school, so our own alma mater is partly responsible, But uh, or a thinker from our alma mater is partly responsible. But it was this idea that um, quantitative thinking should replace qualitative thinking, Um, and it's sort of quantitative at the expense of qualitative. So there was a bottom-line mindset that was pervasive that has consistently grown within organizations. Um, Another way to think about it is the shareholder value mindset, and this has been a great disservice to employees and to communities and we yeah we illustrate in the book some 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 really startling examples of of that mindset taking hold and and really negatively affecting uh, individuals
1: Hmm. so these other words in the title think talk and create you want to walk us through each one and kind of talk about the think talk create methodology if you will
0: Yeah, absolutely. So think, talk, create is more or less the practicum for our solution to the dehumanized workplace. So we're talking about these dehumanized communities uh, in work environments. And we're saying, well, there's a way in which you can remedy this. One of the key things of the book, one of the key pieces of the book that we were very excited about and proud of, when we went into our publisher and pitched the idea, they said, you know, there's a lot of books like this that are written for the corner office. Who is this book written for? Who's your audience? And we said, yeah, you know, the, the corner office is fine. The people that are sitting there in those in their their, their glass squares, mm-hmm. um, but we really are focused on the folks in the middle of the office in the cubicle, and that was our target audience. Because at the end of the day, we all have agency in 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 creating humanized workplaces. So there is an idea that oh, it's it's up to the CEO, it's up to leadership, and it's going to be a top-down mindset. And yes, that it certainly helps when leadership sets the tone, but building human work environments starts also from the bottom up as well as much as it does from the top down. And so this is uh, a process in which we all have agency. And the, the, when I say process, what we're talking about generally is the skill that we detail in the book called active inquiry. And active inquiry is the ability to ask open-ended questions, pause, reflect, ask open-ended questions, and engage in dialogue with team members. And it's a skill that we have. It's an, it's an innate human skill And it seems to be a really good method and tool for rehumanizing work environments and boosting performance. So not only is it um, our employees sort of more satisfied um, and more invigorated at work, but we actually have metrics that show it helps the bottom line as well. So it's a win-win for companies and their team members alike.
1: Okay, you're listening to Business Talk, a podcast presented by Business West in partnership with Living Local and sponsored by People's Bank. We're talking with Ryan Stelzer. He is the co-author, along with David Brendel, of a book called Think, Talk, Create: Building Workplaces Fit for Humans. Let's um, talk more about this uh, humanizing quality of the workplace, and the, or the dehumanizing quality that you just talked about. But how do workplaces start to become more humanizing? Uh, where does it begin? How does it begin? How do we get this ball rolling?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. And I think the easiest answer to that is tomorrow when you're in a meeting or w- whether, I know as overall gradually returning to the office, some of us are staying remote. Um, but the next time you're having a conversation with a colleague, try to practice that think-to-create approach. Try to practice active inquiry. Engage your colleague in dialogue by asking open-ended questions and posing open-ended questions. Open-ended questions are ones that have uh, start with words like what or how, as opposed to closed-ended questions. Closed-ended questions are those that uh, elicit a yes or no response. So if I were to ask you, um, did you drink coffee this morning? That would be probably a short yes or no. Yes, I did. No, I didn't. Whereas if I were to say, how was your morning? That That would encourage and elicit sort of a longer, more thoughtful response from you. So- uh, this approach when you're in meetings is very effective because it it's essentially a mindset of two heads are better than one. And right away you're getting folks to elaborate and communicate on a, um, on a much grander scale than they probably were previously. So the, the first thing, the easiest thing, the lowest hanging fruit you can do is the next time you're in that meeting, just ask an open-ended question. See if you can come up with a question that starts with how or what and pose it to the room or pose it to your, your partner in conversation and see what happens.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, you wrote this book after the start of the pandemic. You probably started it before the pandemic started, am I right? That's correct. We could go on for six hours about how COVID has changed the workplace and just the, the big ways in which the office is not the same as it was in February of 2020. But you just want to kind of put in perspective how everything that's in your book or is affected by COVID or isn't affected by COVID? Does this apply to the same workplace that we had in 2019 or is this a a different workplace with just different ways of people communicating via Zoom like we are now or in person?
0: It's universally applicable and it it is a timeless approach and sort of the intent behind active inquiry is that we've we've drawn on organizational behavior studies from the last 50 years But it's a mindset and a skill that's been um, practiced since the Athenians were walking around the marketplace. And you had Socrates asking open-ended questions. So it is a remarkably resilient skill. It's a timeless skill. And it's one that is applicable whether we're working on Zoom, whether we're in person, whether we're hybrid, Um, it's really not. um, Of course, we wanna have a dialogue partner, but as long as you have someone that you're speaking with, it really doesn't matter the medium. Um, and the, to your point, yes, uh, there's no question that, uh, COVID and the pandemic has upended our work lives, but I, my sense is that there has been a movement for change and a rethinking about how we approach work environments for some time. And COVID just happened to be the catastrophe that forced us to rethink how we were doing business. Um, a perfect example of this is... I was working with a firm a number of years ago that had a considerable challenge with real estate expenses. They had a class A office space in major markets around the world and they were spending a fortune on real estate. They were trying to figure out ways that they could offset their costs. And so whether that was through layoffs, whether that was through buying, buying up properties in, um, in smaller markets, they weren't sure what to do. And one of the HR leaders at the time came to the CEO or CFO and said, "Hey, I have an idea." The idea is, why don't we go hybrid or why don't we go remote? Why don't we keep the office space that in the, you know, the the, the in our headquarters? And we can go to a flex approach where we allow employees to work maybe three days a week for twelve hours, or we do four days a week for ten hours. They can come in on one or two days. We can have, we can build this model and, and sketch out this sort of hybrid approach. And they would hear none of it because it was the, the thought that employees could work from home and that they would be as productive was just sort of mind boggling to them and an egregious an egregious violation of of their uh, of their of their role as an employer. And fast forward a couple of years, and it's exactly what they were forced to do. And not only were they forced to do that, but every employee had to work remotely at this organization. So, and their productivity did not it was it was not diminished in any way, shape, or form. I think, in fact, they became more profitable. I mean, there's that's a whole other conversation, but it's all to say that COVID just sort of was the catalyst for change that was probably a long time coming.
1: Okay, so now we we come to. Not just the changes in the workplace, but what has happened in the workplace since COVID started. Uh, This phrase, great resignation, has come up again and again and again, and lots of theories as to why it's happening. I'm sure you have one yourself, but companies are coping with a changing workplace and this great resignation at the same time. And and these two powerful forces and and one could very well be as a result of the other. Where, Where do you weigh in on this?
0: The Great Resignation, we just wrote an article actually for Quartz about this a couple of weeks ago, and the, by and large, economists are split on the motivating factors behind the Great Resignation. So there's a number of factors at play here. Um, One of them is that there are these existential issues at work. So people are soul searching during the pandemic and they leave their job. I mean, in November of this past year, four and a half million people left their job that's 3% of the workforce quitting in one month, which is, that's a that's an astonishing statistic. Um, other economists, though, have said it's, it's not necessarily existential factors. It's just folks who are in a stronger financial position, and they're able to retire early. Um, maybe they're just moving and transitioning careers, uh, not necessarily out of spite for their employer, but um, it's been something that they've been wanting to do for a while. So there's a number of reasons why folks leave their, have left their jobs. But Nevertheless, I think um, it's it's been there's been a percentage that is due to soul searching. I mean, there's also folks, particularly low wage workers in the United States. That um, there was an article in the Atlantic that likened the the shift in low wage workers that were just seeking higher wages. I mean, that's essentially a free agency period for them. Um, And so, you know, worrying about food and childcare expenses is a bit is a bit more profound than an existential crisis. So um, that's all to say, there's a number of reasons why people are leaving job but for those who are leaving for existential reasons you know the, the the pandemic has given us an opportunity to sort of rethink and reflect on what what matters and what what values we share and we in the article we compare uh, the experience to Camus and the myth of sisyphus and that you're always going to be pushing that boulder up the hill and seeking purpose and you may never find that meaning or that purpose but what's important is that you're striving you're continuing to try to find that purpose and so well, that, i think
1: go ahead finish
0: no and and that that um that continuous striving is what the pandemic has afforded us it's sort of it's, it's allowing us to be mindful of the fact that hey that's great we're still we're trying to find something that's valuable, and valuable to us let's continue to search for that
1: right well you you bring up the point that i was was getting to next and that is let's, let's put aside the uh, early retirement people for a minute let's just say that they retired because they had the financial wherewithal to do so let's talk about the rest of the people who left uh the U2 song, uh, they didn't find what they were looking for. Maybe they still haven't found what they're looking for, but uh, in your mind, they're going to continue searching. Uh, do you think they found it? I mean, the great question about the great resignation, uh, aside from why are they leaving, is where are they going? Uh, the grass is greener somewhere. Is, is the grass greener in enough places to keep all these people who are, are resigning, uh, enabling them to find what they're looking for?
0: Yeah. So I would split that, that other category then. So if we're talking about folks who aren't retiring, that other category is split between the low wage workers who are seeking, it's essentially a free agency period. So they're seeking higher wages. And that's, I mean, perfectly understandable. And then apart from the folks who are seeking higher wages, you have folks who are, as you know, as we talked about the, the grass is greener elsewhere, let's figure out if there's uh, something more meaningful to my work um, to my career. And it's, it's, that's the, uh, the irony is, and I think the reason why we, we were drawn to Camus and the myth of Sisyphus is that there may not be an answer to that question. The likelihood of finding um, the definitive answer, the, the, the um, objective answer to what does it all mean and why am I doing what I'm doing, that can be difficult to parse out. But what matters is that you're attempting to be a meaning maker in your own life. And that's what's more valuable. That's perhaps what's most valuable is that as you continue to search and as you continue to try to figure out, okay, maybe I'm actually intended or or my purpose is is this or that, um, it's great that you're striving. And if you could spend your entire career continually striving to find that purpose, I would actually argue that's a fairly successful career because you're, you're, Mm -hmm. you're working towards that goal. And it's 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 maybe it's like an asymptote. It's never going to touch the line exactly, but you're going to get closer and closer.
1: Okay, you're listening to Business Talk, a podcast presented by Business West in partnership with Living Local, sponsored by People's Bank. We're talking with Ryan Stelzer, co-author of Think, Talk, Create, Building Workplaces Fit for Humans. Uh, No one could have predicted what the workplace would look like uh, in March of 2022, back in March of 2020 can you predict what the workplace will look like in two more years or four more years or five more years?
0: No, I, you know, as Warren Buffett says, I'm not in the business of making predictions or I can just make my, I, I, we have assumptions for how workplaces ought to operate and we can only move forward uh, incrementally. So while I'd be um, reluctant to make a prediction about what the workplace might look like in, the, in two, three years, I do think it's safe to say that the genie's out of the bottle. As far as our um, our daily commute, and as far as our mindset towards working remotely, and as far as organizations allowing and affording uh, employees the opportunity to work um, in flexible environments, uh, that I think will shift. There's no, I, I think it's we've, we're too far removed from what once was, and I think there, there's just there's no reason why an employee is necessarily forced to sit somewhere for eight hours a day at an uncomfortable chair at their computer at their desk, if they could perform that task just as successfully, perhaps even more successfully from a remote office. So it, there's been a, a mixed response. Some employees are opting to work remotely. Some employees are saying, well, I actually want to go back in to see my colleagues every once in a while. Um, we'll see what happens. But my my the closest thing I will say to a prediction is that the, it will it, we'll not go back to exactly the way it once was. I think we're into a new horizon as far as what the workplace looks like for a traditional 40-hour-a-week um, job.
1: Okay. Well, interesting to see how that all plays out. And uh, I think uh, current trends are pretty much verifying what you're saying. There is no going back. Uh, the genie is out of that bottle, and it, it's not going back in anytime soon, if ever. And where that leaves cities like Boston, where it leaves downtown restaurants, where it leaves large office buildings, uh, well, I guess we'll figure that out down the road. All kinds of opportunities there. Ryan, this has been great. This has been fun. Thank you for coming on. Uh, lots to think about. And like I said, probably uh, most of our listeners are dealing with uh, with these issues right now. So uh, we're happy to have you on. We'll have you back soon.
0: Thanks, George. It's a pleasure to be with you.
1: Okay. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in. This has been Business Talk, a podcast presented by Business West in partnership with Living Local and sponsored by People's Bank. I'm George O'Brien, the editor of Business West. We'll see you next time.